Welcome to today's Ask the Experts webinar. Now, without any further delay, I'd like to introduce today's host, David Molman with Align Technologies. David, you have the floor. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Advancing the Biomechanics of Invisalign Clear Aligners with John Morton, Dr. Charles Gimme, and Dr. Harold Middleberg. You'll earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you'll receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor site account. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Education tab of your Invisalign doctor site, where you may also access archive versions of all of our previous ASCII Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our first speaker today, John Morton. John Morton focuses on improving orthodontic treatment using aligner appliances through the application of biomechanical principles. He previously held positions as Director of Research in the Department of Orthodontics at the University of Connecticut and as a consultant for the NIH, universities, and private companies. He also founded Ortho Measurements, Inc., a company dedicated to designing and manufacturing orthodontic force and moment measuring instruments. So without further delay, I'll turn the program over to our first speaker, John Morton. John, you now have the floor. Thank you for the introduction, David. It's my pleasure to address you today. I'll be speaking about the innovations of Invisalign. Now, the innovations of Invisalign over the past years have been based on the fundamental principles of biomechanics. Uh, we are applying them now to clear aligner treatment, Invisalign specifically. And I do believe that it is these principles that empower doctors to be able to treat very difficult malocclusions with the Invisalign product today. I do hope that after the presentation today, you'll have a better understanding of what the features are, what the engineers are thinking when they're designing these. And in that understanding, it should help you treat chairside when there are difficult cases or problems that are occurring that you'll be able to better understand how to correct them. I do believe that if you understand the engineer's thinking, this will empower you to alter the appliance or alter your ClinCheck plan to get better treatment outcomes for every patient that you're treating. So the innovation pathway began somewhere around 2008, 2009. And with these fundamental biomechanical principles, we've introduced many different innovations through the years. In the chart, you can see uh, 2009, we introduced something for root torque. I will talk a bit about the biomechanics of root torque shortly. Uh, 2010, we introduced some things about rotation of canines and rotations of teeth. It was uh, believed years ago that you couldn't rotate round teeth with aligners because you couldn't grip the tooth. Uh, we have produced some features that have excellent control over rotations of those teeth. In 2011, we entered a new generation of Invisalign. And the concept here was that you could do three-dimensional movement. You don't need to do an extrusion first and then a rotation and then a tip. You can actually control that force system in three space with the aligner features. And in the diagram you see at 2011, it shows two forces, one on an attachment and one from a change in the shape of the aligner. And those two together control this three-dimensional tooth movement that there is. This had never been done prior to this with aligners. In 2013, we introduced a new material, smart track material. And the reasoning behind this was that you could actually take a material off the shelf that exists and use it sparingly in order to get types of tooth movements. And you couldn't get the best of tooth movements. You couldn't control the roots very well with just standard materials. So we went ahead and designed a material specific for Invisalign. 
We wrote the design specifications and then produced the material. It is an excellent material to be combined with the Invisalign system and the feature sets and the ClinCheck staging of tooth movements. So I will discuss some of the features that actually make that a wonderful material for Invisalign and for orthodontic treatment. 2014, uh, we introduced pressure areas for controlling intrusion in terms of treating deep bites. And this has empowered doctors to treat deep bites much more effectively. And this past year in 2015, we introduced what's called Invisalign G6, and that was for first bicuspid extraction with maximum anchorage. And toward the end of the presentation today, I will talk about the biomechanics of what G6 is and how we actually accomplish maximum anchorage and retraction space closure. So the fundamental biomechanical approach is if you have a tooth movement that you need to do for a treatment, you don't just grab the appliance off the shelf. You don't just reach for an arch wire or reach for a specific bracket. Biomechanics says you must determine that force system. What's the force system to move the tooth? And knowing the force system you need to produce, you can then design the appliance. That appliance could be a bracket and a wire. It could be a positioning of a bracket. Uh, it could be an elastic. It could be a nitai coil spring. It could be anything. It could be a clear aligner. And that's what we're actually dedicated to now is determining those four systems that are necessary and then designing a clear aligner system, the Invisalign system, to produce that force system. Now, how do we know what the tooth movement is? You actually give us the tooth movement in the ClinCheck. The initial ClinCheck has where the initial position of the teeth are. The final ClinCheck that you accept tells us where you want those teeth to be. So we can calculate the movement of the tooth from its initial position to its final position. Given that with the concept of the center of resistance of teeth, a biomechanical principle, we can determine the force system that needs to be generated. And then we go ahead and design the aligner. So the tooth movement's in the ClinCheck. We then determine the force system in our software. And then we design an aligner or an attachment system or both that produces the appropriate force system for treatment. What is the force system? What is this force system that we need? This is called biomechanics. And the reason it's called biomechanics is because it's a biological system. And we're trying to instigate and entice the biological system to respond to get the tooth movement. It's not a Newtonian mechanics system. Newtonian mechanics is about if you double the force, you accelerate the movement of something. And I would ask you if that's true in orthodontics. If you double the force on a tooth, does it move twice as fast? If you triple it, does it accelerate three times as fast? And the answer is no, it doesn't do that. We all understand that if you overload a tooth, you can actually kill the tooth. So the principle is low constant force. So the force system, low constant force, is used to entice the biological system to respond and actually execute the tooth movement that we're looking to do. Now, low constant force is a concept that Align engineers design with, and it came from the literature. Now, I understand that there are many systems out there talking about accelerating orthodontic tooth movement. Some of them vibration, uh, some use light, some use uh, microperforation. There are many different ways of uh, instigating a change in the system. I don't believe that they've come of age yet. And as of that, Invisalign is designing specifically with low constant force. That's the paradigm for our design. When these other systems seem to be able to change the biology, when it's proven that they can do that, our system can change at that time just as well. So how do we actually know what that force system is? We need to control the moment on the root and the force on the crown. And the proportion between those two, between the twist on the tooth and the push on the tooth, controls the type of tooth movement. And there was a publication, Smith and Burstone, back in 1984, which actually gives us those proportions. The concept is if I push a little bit, the tooth tips. If I put a counter moment on, then I can control the movement of the root. If I control the proportion of the counter moment to the push force, then I can control the tooth movement. And that's what's indicated in the diagram. Now, the great thing about this is that forces are measurable and moments are measurable as well. 
It's not just a concept. We can actually measure the twist tendency of an arch wire or the twist tendency of an aligner to twist the tooth. So if you push on a tooth on the crown, you produce an amount of tipping moment. You can then produce a counter moment, and that counter moment is measurable. So we measure both the moment and the force. Now what you see on the screen now, measurement technology, the photograph on the left was our initial equipment for measuring the force and the moment. And it measured the force and moment on one tooth. And believe it or not, with a small device that measures the forces and moments on one tooth, we designed better extrusion attachments, the optimized extrusion attachments, and rotation attachments as well. So tremendous advancements in terms of Invisalign control of tooth movement just from a very simple structure as you see in the diagram on the left. In the middle, you can see that there are four teeth that are built of aluminum. They are connected to sensors that measure the forces and moments in three space on all four of those teeth. Notice it's an anterior group two to two. And we could design the extrusion, multi-tooth extrusion units in order to close an open bite. And this was the device that was used for that. The photograph on the right, every one of those teeth has a sensor under it. So the entire arch, this happens to be an upper arch, we can measure the force system on every single tooth in that arch. We also have a device like this with the lower arch in it. Can you imagine what we can actually design with this? If you've ever tweaked an aligner a little bit in the anterior, have you wondered how far that distribution of force goes down through the posterior teeth? Is it set to equilibrium by a movement on the adjacent tooth, or does it go down two or three teeth? These are the types of things that we can see. When we make alterations to the designs to control anterior movements versus posterior movement, this is the device that we use. It's incredibly powerful, and it should lead us to an excellent future for controlling all types of tooth movements, segmental approaches to tooth movement, full arch approaches to tooth movement with clear aligners. Now, the first thing in 2009, I want to talk about lingual root torque, the concept of changing anterior inclinations. So you've already leveled and aligned the arch. Your arch form is fine. You have your incisal edges where you want them to be. You just need to change the anterior inclination through lingual root torque. So how did we accomplish lingual root torque with the power ridge? First concept is if you want the center resistance of the root to move lingually, you have to push it in that direction. That force F1 pushes that center of resistance lingually. That would cause an unwanted tipping moment in a clockwise direction. So you have to go touch the tooth a second time that's force F2 that you see in the diagram, to stop the unwanted tipping and control the movement of the root so it sweeps root lingual. Notice force F1 and F2 are not equal. The arrow for force F1 is bigger than force F2. tells me it's a larger force. So the sum of the two is still a force in the lingual direction. However, the moment that's produced from F2 is larger. It has a tendency to rotate more so than F1 because it's at a greater distance from the center of resistance. And this produces a resultant moment M that you see in the green. The proportion between the moment and both those forces that are on the crown controls the type of tooth movement you get. So from the literature, we knew for the measurements, I wanted M of a certain value, gram millimeters of moment, and I wanted a specific force in terms of grams force. Then we can go alter the aligner shapes until we get those moment-to-force ratios we're looking for. So that's the concepts of the design. Uh, we went ahead and designed those, uh, produced the proper moment-to-force ratios, and the Power Ridge has been out uh, in clinical treatment for a number of years, over five now. This makes it, I guess, from 2009. We're looking at six to seven years. So you'd have a question. Well, how do we do? It's been out there. How's it working? And it's very difficult uh, to get a signal about how well one feature is working when you have so many variations in our system. Consider that the doctors, the way they approach treatment is different. Their experience with the Invisalign system is different. Patients respond differently. Some of them have very fast-acting physiology, such as young teenagers. Some, the physiology responds very slowly. We don't know if the patients wore the aligners. Maybe they're not compliant at all. 
We don't know if there are other things happening in treatment. Perhaps the doctor had prescribed the use of an elastic or so. But we don't actually know what the input was to the system. So the only thing you can do when you have so many variations that are possible on the input to measure something is to go to an absolutely huge sample size. The bigger the sample size, the better the indication is that you're actually representing the population better. The best sample would be the entire population, every patient that's ever been treated, and then look at that to say well, what's actually occurred. So what we're looking at is an indication. Is it better or worse? Is it better with the feature? Did we do better or should we not have the feature? Should we go without it? So we did the statistics based on this, and the indication that we got is that it's much better. Here's a 500% increase in the success of accomplishing lingual root torque with the feature set in. And in the blue arrows, look at the sample size, 11,857, 13,888. These are very, very large samples. There are very few universities that have sample sizes like this when they actually make an evaluation. So large sample size gives us an indication. It's green. It's better. So it's better with the feature than without. That doesn't necessarily say that there are cases where power ridges don't function or weren't better. But in general, it's better to have the feature set than not. And that's a great outcome for the engineers. They're quite happy when they see that our theory, when it goes from benchtop, predicting for better clinical efficacy actually is better and produces excellent treatment outcomes for it. So I want to talk a little bit about extrusion. Years back, we ran a study on different types of attachments for extrusion, and doctors were saying that they didn't quite know what shape was correct. Some doctors were using ellipses, some were using horizontal beveled attachments, some were using rectangular attachments. So what we decided to do is that you need to know what's the force system I need for extrusion, and that's low constant force, about 0.2 or 0.3 newtons of force, 20, 30 grams. So let's go test which system actually produces that and does it reproducibly. So what you see in the three diagrams, one's for the upper central, one's for the upper lateral, one's for the upper canine, and we selected different shapes of attachments, bonded them to the teeth, and then snapped on the aligners on our equipment, and the red dots indicate what force systems were being developed for extrusion. What's the extrusive force? And notice on the upper central, we determined that the attachment number seven, it's part of the beveled gingival family, attachment number seven seemed to be the best. And on the upper lateral, attachment number seven, that same shape, worked quite well also. But when we got to the upper canine, it was actually number eight that gave the best performance to it. Notice it's not the same shape on the canine as it is on the centrals and the laterals. So from this, we understood that you must build a separate attachment for each tooth, for each movement the tooth will undergo. So this data is actually the foundation of the optimized attachment concept. And we've been optimizing. We have many different types of optimized attachments now. And we continue to design optimized attachments, optimizing the force system to control the movement of the tooth. So fundamental data developed on a machine with one sensor developed the entire future of clinical orthodontics in terms of polymers and clear aligners for designing optimized attachments to control force systems. Now, how do we actually determine the force system on an attachment? You can program the movement of a tooth and snap on the aligner and it'll generate some force for you. But a better way to precisely control the force is to use the buccal aspect of the aligner and cause it to interfere with the attachment. So the diagram you see on the top left, there's a flat surface of an attachment. And you can see an orange force vector pushing on that flat surface. That flat surface we term as the active surface. It is a flat surface. It's very easy to get an aligner to impinge on that flat surface. And that's what we're doing. We're actually forming the aligner such that it has to interfere with that active surface. Now, there's a term called activation. It says the aligner is activated to engage this surface. 
we can change the shape of the aligner such that it impinges on that active surface just a little bit with a low force or it interferes greatly and produces a larger force. Think of the buckle aspect of the aligner as a spring. And when we engage it, it bows out a little bit and produces a small amount of force or it bows outward a lot and produces a lot of force, stretching up an elastic essentially. That's how we're actually controlling the magnitude of the force vector. So it's activation on the active surface of the attachment by which we actually control the force vectors. In the second diagram, you see the rotation attachment. Notice that the flat active surface is positioned and located away from the central axis of the tooth so that when the aligner engages it and pushes on it where the blue force vector is, it produces the rotational moment that we actually need in order to accomplish the rotational movement. So active surfaces, as you look into the future with Invisalign and treat future cases, look for the flat surface. And if you want to know if a case is tracking, push to see that the aligner is engaging that flat surface, that there is contact. If there is contact, you can leave it alone. The aligner is producing the force it should. If there is no contact there, you need then to go modify the treatment. In engineering terms, one would actually say that what's the direction of the force? What's the point of application of the force? Or what's the magnitude? So we make an assumption on the active surface of the attachment. The assumption is that flat active surface, the force is perpendicular to that surface. Please don't miss this point. It's perpendicular to that surface. That's the assumption. So if you're taking standard attachments in ClinCheck Pro and moving them around the tooth, position that flat surface of an attachment where you want it to be to apply the force and then position it at the orientation you want the force to be at perpendicular to the flat surface that you do with the standard attachment. This is exactly what we do with the optimized attachments. With the optimized attachments, we then control the activation to control the magnitude of the force. So once again, force is perpendicular to the active surface of the attachment, and you can use that concept as you go forward in your own attachment usage. How does activation actually work? Activation is the change in the shape of the aligner such that it engages that active surface. And what I've tried to demonstrate in diagrams is that diagram on the left shows the angle of inclination of the active surface of the attachment itself. The diagram in the middle shows the angle at which we formed the aligner. They're not the same. And by having this engagement, when you snap the aligner in, it flexes that buckle aspect of the aligner and produces the force vector we're looking for. The diagram on the right shows the angle between those two, where the tooth surface is, where the active surface of the attachment is, and where the active surface and push surface of the aligner actually is. So by having this change and controlling the interference, we can control the force vector. Keep this activation concept in mind because toward the end of the discussion, when we get to Invisalign G6, it'll be a very important concept in controlling anchorage and space closure. So how do we do with extrusion? Now we've got optimized extrusion attachments. And once again, you see in the blue arrows, very large sample sizes, and you see everything is in green and we've got a percentage improvement in accomplished movement for extrusion when we use the optimized attachment concept with activation and active surfaces. So it's good to see that the fundamental mechanics, once again, from the benchtop, predicting excellent efficacy, actually comes out to prove that we do get excellent efficiency of tooth movement. And as for rotation, with the uh, concepts of using the active surfaces off the axes of rotation and applying force vectors to those, once again, increases. Everything seems to be looking good. The fundamental concepts of biomechanics when applied to clear aligners improves and empowers the aligners and the doctor to get better control over tooth movement and better treatment outcomes once again. In 2011, we then went to uh, root control angulation, so second order movements. And people had thought for years that polymers, aligners, didn't have the energy that it takes to control the roots or move the roots of teeth. 
And they actually do. They have way too much energy. They are quite rigid in some directions, highly flexible in other directions. So they are very directional in terms of their force mechanics as to what they generate. So in 2011, we produced a system that allows for angulation control, controlling the moment, the force, and the moment, the force ratio. Now, if I were to ask you, uh, what part of the tooth does the aligner engage in order to produce the mesial and distal forces? There isn't one. We don't form in the interproximal region. And in the fact that we don't form an interproximal region, we had to go build the surface on which the aligner could impart the forces. You see the blue force vectors in the diagram. So those active surfaces of the attachments are positioned, they're oriented by the software, and then the aligner is activated by the software to produce the two force vectors that we need to produce the moment to force, the moment in the green, the forces in the blue, in order to get controlled angulation changes of the teeth, second order. I would like to make the point that the blue force vectors, they're not a couple. Those are not equal and opposite forces that result in no force on the tooth, but just a rotational moment tendency. They're not equal. The direction that you want the tooth to go, in this case to the distal, the force pointing to the distal is larger in magnitude than the other force to the mesial. And in this way, the center resistance has a distal force on it. If I wanted to move the tooth in a mesial direction, I would reverse those and the larger force vector would point to the mesial and it would be up by the gingival section. Those attachments will not be positioned the same way. So think of where the direction you want to push, that should be on the gingival positioned attachment. And then the control of the unwanted tipping should be down by the incisal edge. And how did we do with the root tip? Once again, they're all green large sample sizes to take care of the variation on the input and excellent outcomes in terms of better control over tooth movement. So once again, biomechanical principles, we can stand by them with whatever appliances we design in the future. So in 2011, we went to these multi-plane movements. And as I said before, the concept was, how do you control three-dimensional tooth movement? Doctors tend to treat what we call first order, second order, and then third order. So first you're leveled in a line, and then you do second order movements, which are angulations. And then you go to third order movements across the arch wire, which is torque control. And I'd like to proffer that the reason the field has been built that way is that it's easy to comprehend of doing something first, something second, and something third. And we're also bound by the mechanics that's used. When you use a bracket and a wire system, you can't retract on a curved arch wire. So you have to level and align it and then retract the teeth second order down the arch. So the mechanics itself has obligated the treatment of first order, second order, third order. So I do believe that teeth can move in three-dimensional space, and they do. And they don't always follow the perfect trajectories that people are defining for second and third. So what we programmed in 2011 is three-dimensional movement of the tooth. It's easy for a computer to conceive of every tooth in the arch being controlled in three dimensions, much easier than it is for our minds to conceive of that. So when we teach the computer once to control the three-dimensional movement of this upper lateral, it can do that with the force system reproducibly on every lateral that exists. So what you see in the diagram is, first, a tooth that's going to extrude, so we need the attachment. And then we want to position and orient the attachment. So it takes care of some of the three-dimensional movements, some of the other movements in other planes of space. And that's what you see. You can't do this with just one force. One force will always cause a tooth to tip about its center of resistance. So to stop the unwanted tipping, you need the second force. And the second force in the diagram is done by a change in the shape of the aligner. And that pressure point is producing a second force. The two forces together with their moments control the tooth movement. So I think it's important to stress here that, notice, the aligner is not the shape of the tooth. And this is the way many systems out there actually work. They believe that having the shape of the tooth in its next position in the clincheck 
that the tooth will find its way magically to that next position. And that's not how the system works. The way the system works is you're developing an appliance that generates a force system to move the tooth along the trajectory. The only appliance that should be the shape of the teeth in the perfect shape of the arch is the last appliance in the entire series. The forces of the tongue and the cheek and the occlusion will cause the teeth to line up with that final. Therefore, the geometry of that final aligner should be absolutely perfect. During the treatment, the aligner is being stretched like a spring, stretched like an elastic. It is a fancy elastic and distorted. And it's those distortions that produce the force to move the tooth. So this is three-dimensional thinking, something that only the advancements in computer science and the rates and the bandwidths that we can transfer information with allows us to do in real time. So in 2011, we also introduced multi-tooth movement. Now, I had talked earlier about single-tooth movements for extrusion, single-tooth movements for rotations, but that's not how we treat orthodontics. We actually take a group of teeth and we take the energy in one group and pit it against the other. So for controlling of open bites, sometimes you want to extrude all four anterior teeth. So we need to extrude the anterior teeth. And according to some Newton's laws, because the aligner is in equilibrium, we know that the reaction forces must be delivered to the posterior teeth. So in the diagram that you see, the white force vectors on the anterior are extrusive force vectors. They're on optimized attachments that are activated on those surfaces to control the force on those teeth. And we do know that the reaction forces are on the posterior. So what are the forces we need on the anteriors to close the open bite? It has to be equal force across all four teeth. So that's about 0.2 to 0.3 newtons. And the engineers have calibrated it such that that's what it does. This diagram that you see, activations are unequal. We understood from our measurements that you need to produce the activation on those optimized attachments differently. It's a different amount of activation for the centrals than for the laterals. So there's more activation, there's more interference, physical interference on those active surfaces to produce the same force magnitude on all four teeth. And if you think about it, if you take an arch wire and you put a 45 degree gable bend in the posterior, if you tied that arch wire into the laterals and the centrals, most of the force is delivered to the laterals and there's little force delivered to the centrals. That's exactly what happens with aligners. We saw it on the bench top. So we calibrated such that the entire anterior gets equivalent force. The diagram shows that the activations are different. The forces are equal. With this, doctors are showing that you can actually close severe anterior open bites very, very well with Invisalign. And the intrusive forces that are put to the posterior teeth are beneficial to the treatment as well as the bite forces in the posterior. So in 2013, our next innovation, we introduced the SmartTrack material. And as I said before, you can use standard plastics, uh, polymers that come off the shelf, but if they don't have the perfect properties to them, uh, you'll have some shortcomings in terms of control over tooth movement and treatment outcome. So the engineer sat down and wrote a specific specification for it and then went and tested. And we tested over 260 different materials and finally ended up generating our own material, SmartTrack. It works very, very well with the activations, which are the clincheck movements of the tooth in the clincheck to produce low constant force for us. So first, we do need low constant force. That's the paradigm that's in the textbooks today. And if you look at the diagram, you can see that the force magnitude is carried out over a period of time, that the smart track material is nearly horizontal. That tells us that the smart track has a fairly constant force over time, much more so, much more constant, better than the gray line. The gray line is a standard material that many of the corporations use in order to elicit tooth movement. It drops down throughout time. And in so doing, if the tooth hasn't moved, there will be insufficient force in order to be able to move the tooth. 
There's many times when mature adults' teeth don't move for a month or two months. The appliance itself must still be producing force to entice the tooth to move. If the appliance goes inactive, it's of no value in the oral cavity. So smart track material will continue to produce force until the tooth moves. A second thing that needs to be there is it needs to have excellent thermoforming. And the concept is you need fixed contacts on the tooth. You have to have fixed points where you push in order to control the forces in the moments that are generated. Now, I'd like to say I believe a bracket is nothing but a fixed contact point on the tooth where a wire can push. And narrow twin brackets have two contact points that are close together. Wide twins, two contact points that are a little further away to produce a moment and produce a force. And with Invisalign aligners, we have many contact points that we control. The power ridge. The power ridge is a fixed contact point, a ridge pushing at a certain location on the tooth. Fixed contact points. It's very important to have fixed contact points on the surface of the tooth, which means you need excellent thermoforming capability to form the tooth structures and form the feature sets that we have. Now, on the next slide, what you actually see is a typodont that's been thermoformed with smart track material. We then filled it with blue and snapped the aligner onto the typodont. And you can see that where the blue is, there's a space that's been filled with the blue gel. Most of the tooth surfaces, the occlusal surfaces, they're white. That tells you that it's very tightly formed to the surface of the tooth, allowing us excellent control in many different places where we can activate the surface of the aligner to push the tooth in whatever direction we wish to do it. Another thing is that you don't want a plastic that when you stretch it, it stays in that shape. It has to return to its original shape, which is the position that you want the tooth to be in. So it has to be more elastic. And SmartTrack is a highly elastomeric material. It's more nitrile-like in its performance in that when you stretch it, it produces constant force as it returns to its original shape. So it is more nitrile-like. I'm not saying that it's nitrile in its performance in that you don't use it for finishing. You can use SmartTrack material, and we do use it for finishing of the treatments. It has excellent force characteristics from the beginning to the end of treatment. In 2014, we went to the treatment of deep bite. And in order to treat a deep bite, the first thing we had to do is determine how do we control single tooth intrusion. So if I asked you if you program the intrusion of an anterior tooth, is the force vector up through the apex of the tooth? And you see the diagram on the left, that tooth has been programmed for intrusion. The yellow force vectors on the surface, that's where the aligner is pushing on the surface of the tooth. And all of those push vectors actually generate a force as measured that's red over there where it says force. It's off by about 40 degrees off the axis of the apex. And this is the reason that we could hypothesize that we don't get excellent intrusion that's well controlled. So in 2014, what we did was we produced a pressure surface. We changed the shape of the aligner on the lingual aspect of the tooth to redirect the force vector through the apex of the tooth. So now with the force closer through the apex of the tooth, we're seeing improved single tooth intrusion to it. Now, when you go to treat a deep bite case, you're not intruding one tooth. Often, you want to intrude the entire anteriors as a unit. So once again, we modified the pressure surfaces that are on each of the anterior teeth, two to two, by the amount that's necessary in the anterior part of the arch, such that they get equivalent intrusive force to intrude the anteriors as a unit. Now, if we produce intrusive forces on the anteriors, there have to be extrusive forces on the posteriors. And in the diagram that's toward the bottom, you can see that there are retention attachments on the teeth and the aligner is impinging on those retention attachments to hold those teeth to produce the reaction force to intrude the anteriors. If you want to extrude the posterior teeth in order to level the curbus bay, you can. 
you program for the bicuspids to extrude, and those attachments are then activated, and the extrusion will take place, clinically leveling the curve. So the combination of bicuspid extrusion, some molar extrusion, and anterior intrusion, the treatment of deep bite is quite possible now. We also introduced for the treatment of deep bite, optimized bite ramps. Now, we have had bite ramps. Those are ramps on the lingual aspect that you see in the diagram. What happens is the mandible comes up and the teeth and the mandible impinge on those bite ramps and produce a force. So when the patient's biting, the force of the musculature of the mandible actually produces intrusive forces or tipping forces on those upper anterior teeth. Uh, they also disocclude the posterior teeth, and by disocluding the posterior teeth, you're delivering most of the force to the anteriors. Now, the clinicians specifically have written papers demonstrating the use of bite ramps for treatment of deep bite. They seem to be highly clinically effective. If you ask me the biomechanics of them, I don't know the direction of the force vectors because we don't know the direction in which the mandible is pushing or closing on a specific patient, and we don't know if the engagement is partly on the lingual aspect of the tooth or only on the flat surfaces of the bite ramps. They are clinically effective as shown, though. The optimized part to that is that first they're positioned so that they are engaged by the opposing tooth right from the first stage that they're applied, and then they dynamically move with each stage of treatment as the leveling and the intrusion is occurring. So that we could call them intelligent bite ramps, and they're essentially moving and function much better than something that was stationary and just stuck on the aligner for the piece to it. So these are ramps that are formed into the aligner. They're not bonded on the teeth. There's nothing bonded to the teeth. And then the mandible goes and pushes on those. So the innovations that I just discussed and as we went through, uh, we've learned a lot. The engineers have learned how to fabricate the attachments so that they do what they need to do, position, orient them and engage them, activate them, how to change the shapes of the aligner so the features produce the four systems we're looking for. We learned how to control second-order angulations on the canines, second-order angulations on the bicuspids. So then we said, from 2011 on, having learned that, why don't we take a look at extraction space closure? And if you can control the anterior moment to force, the posterior moment to force, we should be able to close an extraction space. So we began Invisalign G6, and we took the solution set that was designed back in 2011 for the canines and 2012 for the bicuspids, put that onto our equipment with those activations on the canine and activations on the bicuspids, and it did not produce the right force system for extraction space closure. And the reason for that is that when you have an extracted first bicuspid, the shape of the aligner is different than it was when the bicuspid is there. So we had to calibrate the aligner such that we get proper moment to force ratios on the anterior and posterior with that tooth that's now extracted. The shape of the aligner in there is different. So I will explain to you what the concept is for Invisalign G6 and how we're able to accomplish first bicuspid extraction with maximum anchorage. It's first bicuspid only, the reason being that if you extract a second bicuspid, the location of the extra aligner is in a different proportion from the anterior to the posterior. It's just like having an arch wire that's in the first bicuspid region. You would put a certain bend if it's in the first bicuspid region. You put a different bend if it's in the second bicuspid. So the aligners are the same. We will design solutions in the future for second bicuspid extraction and balance those. However, G6 is not for second bicuspids. First bicuspids, maximum anchorage only. The thing that actually empowered us to do this was the things I've been talking about. We had to have the smart track material that has this NITI-like function to it. We have to have control over the root with respect to the crown, which is what the smart force features allow us to do. And then we need to introduce a thing we call smart stage. And smart stage is being smart enough to stage the position of the tooth 
in its next position in the arch, such that it fabricates an aligner that produces the force system to control the tooth movement. So the most important thing to the input of the force system to a tooth is the position in the clincheck of the tooth. You don't just position the tooth where you think you want the tooth to be. You position the tooth in the clincheck such that it fabricates an aligner that controls the contacts on the tooth surface and on the attachments to produce the force system you need very close to the force system you need so that then the smart force features can fine-tune the system for you to get the balance of movements that you're looking for. So it took all these learnings and this complex smart track, smart force, smart stage trilogy that we have here in order to be able to control tooth movement well with Invisalign aligners. So smart stage specifically is an algorithm that determines the shape of the aligner at every stage so that the aligner engages with the tooth surfaces and the active surface of the attachments to apply the necessary force system. So I want to be clear that the ClinCheck movie that you see is not the position of the teeth. It's fabricating an aligner that will move the teeth throughout the treatment. The shape of the aligner in the last stage of treatment should be the position of the teeth such that the teeth align up with it and you have the aesthetic look that you would like. So the Invisalign G6 first premolar extraction solution is designed to maximize posterior anchorage. So this is what they call type A extraction space closure, maximum posterior anchorage. And if we were to ask you, what is maximum anchorage? Uh, what people used to do is take a, a transpalatal arch, put it through the molar tubes, put a 2125 steel in between the molars and the bicuspids, lock those teeth together, figure eight them in, all of this effort in order to produce maximum anchorage. So what is maximum anchorage with an Invisalign aligner? We actually don't know. So what our purpose was, was to design for maximum posterior anchorage, zero movement of the teeth, and we do allow for two millimeters of movement just because we need to set the occlusion with tight contacts. So what is that maximum posterior anchorage? We will learn that as you're treating cases through the next years. The idea is it could be 100%. It could be 90% or 80%. How much are we going to slip the posterior teeth or dump them into the extraction space? As little as possible. It's designed to maintain root parallels during retraction. What this actually means is we want that canine upright and translating through the extraction site. We don't want it tipping in and then root correcting. What we're looking to do is to maintain it upright for aesthetics and excellent control. We do that by controlling the moment to force ratio on the canine and controlling force and the moment and making sure that it maintains itself upright. It's designed for vertical control. So we all understand that when you try to do anterior retraction, there is a tendency because of the center of resistance of the anterior group for the anteriors to tip lingually and sometimes a loss of the vertical control there and increasing depth. So we actually designed with that in mind, and I'll explain to you how we compensate for that in the aligner. And how do we actually get maximum anchorage? How do we get the space to close with the posterior staying where they are and the anteriors closing the majority of the space? And the principle that's being used here is called differential moments. And differential moments has been written about. It has been used with brackets and wires for years. It is shown in terms of the mechanics of it to accomplish maximum anchorage, anterior retraction. So if we can do it with brackets and wires, if we get the same four systems with a clear aligner, we should get the same clinical efficacy. So Newton's laws tell us if we take an elastic, or in this case, a fancy elastic called an aligner, and we lock it on the anterior and posteriors with a tooth extracted, a first bicuspid, that will get equal and opposite forces on the anteriors and posteriors, and the crowns will tip in, they'll dump it into the site, and that's something that we don't want. So we have unwanted tipping moments being produced by just this pure stretch of the aligner. So what we have to do is go produce the counter moments on the canine 
to stop the unwanted tipping. And what you see in the diagram is that there are attachments that have been placed on the tooth, one force larger than the other, producing the tipping moment, the counter moment, in order to stop the unwanted tipping. Now, what's most important, this is smart staged. It's contacts on the tooth surface and on the attachments together that are producing the force system that's required. This cannot be done with just the attachments. You actually have to stage the position of the tooth appropriately. And this tooth, this canine, is tweaked in three space, three linear movements and three rotational movements in order to get the force system that's required on the canine so it stays upright as it's retracting. We go to the posterior teeth, and they too would have a tendency to dump into the extraction site. So we smart stage the position of that tooth, and what we get is force vectors that you see from the aligner, which is in the left part of the diagram on the distal aspect of the tooth. This has a tendency to mesialize the crown, essentially dumping into the site. So the counter moment to stop that dumping is produced on the surface of the tooth. You see two of the force vectors pointing distal and on the attachment itself, which the activation is controlled on the active surface of the attachment to stop the unwanted tipping. Now, how do we get that space to close? So what we actually do to create maximum posterior anchorage produce a larger moment on the posterior teeth as shown by the green arrow, a smaller moment on the anterior teeth shown by the green arrow on the anterior teeth. What this does, it distributes the force to the posterior roots, essentially attempting to tip back the posterior crowns, but distributing the load along the roots. And if you keep the energy low, keep the force low, there's not enough energy to move the posterior teeth to the mesial. However, there is enough force on the anterior group of teeth to move the simplicity of the anterior roots to the distal. And this is the means by which it's actually occurring. So there's a few tricks to getting differential moments in order to have maximum anchorage and most of the movement from the anteriors. Keep the force low and there's sufficient energy to move the anterior teeth, not enough to move the posterior teeth. The second thing you need to do is get the canine moving first. Get the canine mobile first. If you try to move the entire anterior unit, you'll actually slip most of the anchorage. The idea is move the canine first, and once it's mobile and its resistance has been lessened, then you can move the anterior teeth along with it. So that's what's being executed in the staging, the automatic staging that's done in the ClinJax for Invisalign G6. The other thing that occurs to it is knowing that when you actually do this, that you're going to lose the vertical height of the anterior teeth. So we actually made some activations to resist that type of a movement. And you'll see in the diagram that's here, it says aligner activations. We activated the aligner. We put it in the position such that there's just a little bit of force being generated to the intrusion of those anterior teeth to stop them from extruding. And the green arrow shows you we've activated it on the buccal and lingual surface of the tooth of the anterior teeth to stop the inclination change that's not wanted either. So these activations are placed in there in anticipation of what we always see clinically, which is this tipping of the anteriors and a loss of height. So it's basically been activated to stop that. You can put the aligner in the way, and the aligner will stop the movement of those teeth. And we know it's in the way and interfering by just a little bit from the measurements that we made on the benchtop. Now, there's another aspect to Invisalign G6. The one I just spoke about is a single arch balance of force, anterior to posterior, a balance of the moments to control the closure of the space. It's in one arch. There should not be elastics that are necessary to back up the anchorage. The anchorage has been produced within the arch itself, within the aligner itself. If you find during treatment that there seems to be something happening that you don't like and you feel you want to back it up with an elastic, you're welcome to do that. That was not measured on our bench top. We don't know what the clinical outcome would be. A second thing that we did for space closure is develop power arms. 
Power arms are a device that's been around for years and years. There's nothing special about it. But many doctors, especially through Europe and Asia Pacific, use these, and they use them along with the aligners. So we facilitated the use of power arms with aligners. The principle of a power arm is quite simple. All it is is producing a force through the center of resistance. If you produce a force at the level of the center of resistance, the tooth will translate. It'll move bodily along the arch. That's what we're attempting to do. So what we did was we built a socket, essentially, that's on the tooth that you can then place a power arm in, as you see in the diagram. And when you place that power arm in there and bond it on with composite, the power arm stays on the tooth, the composite bonding it to it. The aligners are removable, and you can proceed through your progression of aligners. Notice the level of the elastic force is at the level of the center resistance of the tooth, and this is the means by which you can translate the tooth to the distal. Now, the elastic has a very long working range to it. As far as you stretch it, it can produce force to move a tooth. So we felt that the aligner could actually be in the way and slowing down the movement. So we produced a space. And you see in the red circle, there's a space to the distal of the canine, allowing that tooth to move at the rate it can physiologically move. When it does contact the aligner, the force is apical to it, and you will find that the root will begin to tip forward. You'll change the aligner, and the crown will catch up with the root if the root had actually gone before the crown. So we're facilitating the use of power arms. This is the application of a power arm to extraction space closure for distalizing those canines. However, this is to facilitate the use of any wire in any direction. Professor Berta Meltzen has written about cantilever beam theory for years. You can uh, institute any cantilever beam theory. Uh, it facilitates the use of a wire for this, as I say, because our doctors had asked us to provide this. So in summary... Fundamental biomechanics is being used to advance the Invisalign system. What I've described for the past moments is exactly that. These are fundamental principles. There's nothing new to it. It is used to design brackets and wire systems, and now we're using it to design the Invisalign clear aligner system. It is fundamental to our innovations that have occurred through the years, and it is fundamental biomechanics that will deliver us an even more powerful future for Invisalign aligners for a treatment of difficult cases. What I described recently or here over the past, these G-series, it was G3, G4, G5. I described G6 in detail, the smart track material. These solutions, they do improve tooth movement, and it is better with these features than it is without. Many people believe you can control tooth movement without attachments. You can get some tooth movement without attachments. If you want to well control the tooth movement, you need to actually control the four systems well, and from that, you need these features. These features are highly powerful in controlling tooth movement. Uh, smart track material, it's a highly advanced polymer. It's developed by us here at Align specifically for orthodontics and specifically for the Invisalign system. You need to know first, what is your appliance comprised of? What are its properties? How far does it stretch? What force does it produce? What shapes can it take on? What's the thickness distribution? Once you know all of those things, then you can control the four system well on a tooth. Without having these fundamentals and knowing this, you don't have an optimal system and you'll just have a little bit of tooth crowns, the crowns being pushed around beneath the roots. That's not good orthodontics. You need excellent control over the material and the force systems to control movement. The smart force features, the smart track material, together with smart stage and the smart force features, that's what enables the doctors to achieve excellent outcomes. It took years for us to develop this, and we'll be developing in the future. And as we do, almost on an annual basis, we'll introduce to you the greater complexities of how do we control tooth movement and get better treatment outcomes with Invisalign aligners. Thank you, and now I'll turn it back over to Dave. Thank you, John. We'll now turn the webinar over to Dr. Charles Gimme. Dr. Gimme has been a practicing orthodontist in Philadelphia and Hatboro since 2000 
and is on the faculty at Albert Einstein Medical Center. Dr. Gimme, you now have the floor. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate your kind introduction. I've been practicing with Dr. Middleberg since 2000, and we've been using the Invisalign system for a good 15 years now, probably since it was first developed and introduced to the orthodontic profession. So my case I'll show you is uh, Ashley, who is a 17-year, five-month-old female, and she is our typical patient who comes in. She's getting ready to go to college the following year, and of course, the first thing she tells me is she doesn't want to do braces. So I'm looking at her, I'm just kind of scratching my head, looking at her bite, and I said, well, we can definitely try Invisalign with you. So she came in and she wanted to get her smile better. You can see on her pictures when she first came in, she had a clinical exam that showed she was a class one dental, but a little mild class three skeletal, which we'll get into on the Ceph. She had retroclined maxillary mandibular incisors. She has generalized crowding, and the maxillary interior teeth were in crossbite, as you can see, especially the upper ones are in crossbite with the lowers as well as across for the upper left five, which was a little bit blocked out, as you can see on the maxillary occlusal view. Uh, the upper left five was blocked out, and when I noticed it, it looked like her midlines were coincident, and she did have some generalized rotations. Proceeding on to her panorex, her initial panorex, you can see that she is in pretty good root alignment. She's missing her third molars. They were extracted about a year prior, so nothing else of significant to note on the panorex. Looking at her cephalometric x-ray, it does show she has a mild class 3 skeletal relationship. Uh, her ceph numbers to note with that she has an A and B angle of around negative 1 degrees. So that's telling me she does have a little bit of a class 3 skeletal pattern. Her SNI was 103 degrees, showing that's within normal limits, maybe a little bit low. And her IMA was where it should be at 90 degrees. So our treatment goals for Ashley were to proceed with a dental correction since her skeletal class 3 was mild and the position of her teeth were amenable to a dental compensation. Ashley's treatment goals were ideal for Invisalign for a few reasons. The first reason was the aligners allow for the dental disarticulation, which is ideal when attempting to correct crossbites. A lot of times with braces, we're putting on either posterior bite ramps or we're putting on bite turbos to correct the crossbite. So I really like Invisalign for this reason because it does disarticulate the occlusion. Uh, the other factor was she was highly motivated to avoid braces and I find my 17 year olds are very compliant and I knew that she was gonna be in good shape. And the other issue is going to be that Ashley's going to be starting college a year from now, and there's going to be less chance of having typical emergencies that you see with our college students that go away with braces. I think many of us can relate to phone calls from other orthodontists in the areas where they're practicing and the patients have been in for emergencies. So it is nice with Invisalign in that very rarely there's an emergency. I think the biggest emergency we have is maybe they lost their aligner or maybe an aligner cracked, which is pretty straightforward to take care of. Now, you can take a look at my initial clin check here. We're looking at the anterior of the teeth, and my typical protocol is to avoid attachments on the first three sets of aligners. And this allows the patients to get really comfortable with wearing their aligners, and it allows them to get excited for their treatment. And then at stage four, we place the attachments, and then we begin to see the patients every 10 weeks, which has been wonderful for our schedule, because typically with our braces patients, we see them every six to eight weeks. Uh, with my Invisalign patients, I'm seeing them at 10 weeks, and sometimes even going out to 12 or 14 weeks, depending on the case. Uh, for Ashley, you can see here we utilized a number of different attachments to control the movements, as well as some mild posterior expansion to uncrowd her teeth, which you'll see on the next one. What I found is that with the new attachments and protocols, especially you see these attachments that are placed here, all of these attachments you see were placed by the computer, by our technician. These are the optimized attachments. And with these new protocols, I find that I don't need to make that many adjustments. Years ago, I'd have to take all the attachments off that the computer put on, and then I'd have to go through and place the attachments that I preferred. 
But with these new designs and these new innovations, it's been wonderful because it really helps to facilitate the ClinChecks. So her maxillary anterior teeth were proclined, and since the upper left one was also rotated, they used an optimized rotation attachment to control the anterior teeth, and then the upper left one was rotated, so that was placed on there. When looking at the buckle ClinCheck, when you take a look at the upper left, you can see here that the upper left four, there was a optimized attachment to move the tooth in a mesial direction. And we're trying to create space for the upper left five to come forward. And the one thing that I usually will request to the technician is when they're making space for a tooth that's in crossbite, I always like to create about a half a millimeter of space mesial and distal to allow some space for the tooth to come forward. You'll be able to see this more once we get to the occlusal view. Uh, on the right buckle segment, you can see we've had some optimized attachments to help derotate the upper right three and also to extrude it into occlusion. Looking at the occlusal views now, you can see especially the upper anterior teeth, how they're being proclined and brought forward. The upper left four has that attachment on it to help bring the tooth mesial and to derotate it at the same time. Now, if I were to do this again today, I would also add an attachment to the upper left six, probably a vertical beveled attachment to help derotate the upper left six to create a little more space for the upper left five to come forward. In looking at the lower arch, you can see that the roots are being held in position with those torquing auxiliaries on the lower anterior and the teeth are uncrowding nicely. Now looking at Ashley's final panorex, you can see that we have really nice root alignment. These all roots seem to be parallel and with all the different optimized attachments that we used, we really maintain nice symmetry and parallelism. Looking at her CEF, the final CEF numbers, the measurements to note were that her A and B stayed about the same, which was to be expected, and her SNI increased to 108 degrees, and her IMA reduced to 87 degrees. Now, this was part of her dental compensations, and this was well within normal limits, so we were very happy with that. Looking at her final pictures, you can see how nice her occlusion developed here. Uh, the nice thing is she's got a great anterior coupling. The left buckle segment is very well interdigitated. The right buckle segment could have been a little bit improved. She had a little bit of uh, disarticulation on the upper right four and five, but that uh, not too worried about. I knew that that was going to settle as she progressed. Looking at her refinement ClinCheck, looking at the anterior view, you can see now that she's had the crossbite's been corrected. Once again, we have the optimized attachments on the anterior. Looking at the movie playthrough here, looking at the anterior view, you can see that the upper left one is being brought across. The posterior teeth are being brought into occlusion. Looking at the buckle segments, you can see this even more. For this treatment plan, for this refinement, I did have to add the horizontal vertical beveled attachments in the posterior on the fours and fives to allow them to extrude into position. And you can see she had a slight posterior open bite, which you sometimes see after a patient is really well, really good compliance with wearing her aligners. Uh, the other thing is she did have a little bit of a premature anterior contact. So we plan to do a little bit of IPR in the lower anterior to help retract the incisors to improve that coupling. Now, one thing I would do differently today is I might consider using some light class three elastics to help also to bring the teeth back. Looking at her occlusal views, you can see that we had some minor IPR done on the lower. The teeth were rotated slightly out and we had some nice expansion occur. And once again, looking at her initial versus her final, we were really thrilled with her results. It took about two years, and needless to say, Ashley and I were both very happy in the treatment. Uh, the crossbite was corrected. Her interdigitation, I felt, was really good, and she is functioning well. And on excursive movements, she does have great canine guidance, and her smile arc is very symmetrical, and her midlines are coincident. 
I would have liked to have seen her right buck occlusion settled in some more, but here's where the college came into effect, where she was getting ready to go back to college a few weeks after these pictures. So we decided to section her maxillary retainers uh, to allow for some posterior settling. And I'll do this quite frequently for patients that develop a little bit of a posterior open bite, where we'll section the retainers. I'll give them a retainer that's sectioned upper three to three only, and I'll give them a full lower retainer. And this allows the maxillary posterior teeth to extrude a little bit more into occlusion. And she was instructed to wear the retainer full-time for three months and then PM use after that. And then when she returned after eight months being away in college, her occlusion did settle in quite nicely, and we were very happy with the result. So in summary, she came along great, did take about two years for her treatment. She had about 53 aligners on the upper and lower. We talked about the retention protocol. And I just wanted to tell you that, you know, when I started using Invisalign teen a few years ago, I was highly skeptical that I would get good compliance with the patients. Whenever I discuss the pros and cons of treatment options with families, we always talk about Invisalign versus braces and the need for excellent compliance with wearing the aligners. They understand that if compliance starts to wane, we're going to switch them to fixed appliances, and we don't hesitate with that. But I got to tell you, over the past three years that I've been using Invisalign teen regularly, I can count the number of patients I had to switch to braces on one hand. I'm amazed at how well the teens wear their aligners, and just like Ashley, we're getting tremendous results with them. One last thing to note is that before the latest design innovations of protocols, like I said, I used to routinely remove the attachments that the computer selected and I'd put my preferred attachments in place. Uh, that took a good amount of time went back and forth and complicated the ClinCheck process. Over the past few years, I really find myself rarely removing the optimized attachments. And the nice thing with this is that I don't have as many revisions to go back and forth with my technician and turnaround time has been a lot faster, especially now that we have the scanner. Patients are excited that they can have their aligners only a few weeks after they have their scan and records. And excited and happy patients become your fans. And I've noticed over the years that they refer their friends. And we have seen a good number of Invisalign starts steadily increase over the past few years. So to conclude, I'd just like to thank you very much for your attention. And I'd like to turn the stage back over to David. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Gimme. We'll now turn the webinar over to Dr. Harold Middleberg. Dr. Middleberg has been in practice since 1986, is a diplomat of the American Board of Orthodontics, and is on the faculty at Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. Dr. Middleberg, you now have the floor. Thank you, Dave, for the introduction. I am a private practice orthodontist. We've been doing Invisalign in our practice for about 15 years now, and it's been a wonderful addition to the practice. It's been a boom for us where patient starts, and it's just made practicing orthodontics even more fun. The patient that I want to present today is Dylan. Dylan was actually used for Invisalign teen as part of his phase two treatment. Dylan had been a phase one patient, had successful results with phase one. So Dylan presented for phase two. At this point, his examination revealed that he was a class one skeletal pattern. He now had the proper maxillary transverse dimension because we had handled that correction during the phase one treatment. Dentally, Dylan was class one, overjet one millimeter, overbite one millimeter, maxillary mild crowding, a mandibular arch, really no arch length discrepancy there. And the maxillary premolars had erupted mesially, not allowing the maxillary canines really to position themselves like they should. If you take a look at Dylan's initial pictures, you can see that the maxillary premolars are indeed too mesial to allow the maxillary canines to properly erupt. If you take a look at his panoramic view, all teeth are present, including all third molars, the unerupted upper left five, which we will maintain space for and allow to erupt, but should not be a problem. 
the cephalometric view verifies the class one relationship and that the uh, maximum mandibular incisal angulations are well within normal limits. In fact, the mandibular incisors were pretty upright. The treatment for Dylan was to properly position those maxillary canines. And as you can see, the need to first distalize the maxillary premolars into position will allow those canines to erupt. We would need some maxillary dental expansion to also help with the maxillary canines. And as they come down, they will be extruded into position with some distal movement at the same time. And we will utilize the eruption compensation feature of Invisalign to allow the upper left five to properly position itself. On the anterior view with the clint check, you'll notice the power ridges that were placed in order to allow proper torque of the lower mandibular incisors and eventually also on the upper right one and upper left two. Dylan's optimized attachments, as you can see, really allowed for bodily movement of the maxillary premolars. It'll be easier to see that on the maxillary view in a minute, and also to allow the proper positioning of the maxillary incisors. When we look at the buccal view, it's easier to see the maxillary premolars that were bodily positioned to allow the maxillary canines to erupt. And as you see them erupting, you'll notice the distalization of those same teeth at the same time, especially on the maxillary right canine, so much more actually than the left. The occlusal view reinforces what I mentioned. That was the need to distalize those maxillary premolars and allow the maxillary canines to erupt. The uh, upper left five still maintaining space for the eruption of that tooth. When we look at the final pictures of Dylan, we got the bodily movement that we were looking for with the help of the optimized attachments on the maxillary premolars, and that allowed the maxillary canines to really position themselves, I think, in good position. That allowed us to have the proper canine guidance and anterior guidance. We want to check for all our cases when we finish. There was one refinement that was necessary to help deepen the bite a little bit anteriorly and to also allow for some detailing. So you'll see that happening on the video as it goes through. If we look at the buccal view, we can see that the maxillary right canine still needed even more distalization. So the optimized attachment, if you look at the active surface, you can see that that upper right maxillary canine positions beautifully into its proper position with the help of the attachments. The occlusal view on this refinement shows the residual spaces closing up and a little IPR necessary to help position the upper and lower anterior incisors for Dylan. So when we look at the initial and final view for Dylan, we see that we obtained all of our goals. The maxillary premolars were distalized bodily into position. The maxillary canines were allowed to be placed where they belong. The upper right canine was both extruded and distalized at the same time with the help of the optimized attachment. The upper left canine fell completely into position. The upper left five positioned itself unimpeded while this was all going on. And we ended up with what I thought was a really nice result. We obtained our canine guidance that we were looking for. We were able to deepen the anterior bite at the same time. So in conclusion, Dylan's treatment took 20 months. 45 aligners were ordered, although the last couple were over correction trays. So we really only used about 40 aligners 
retention for Dylan was the full-time wear for the Vivera for three months, and then it was asked to wear them just for the nights only. I have to take this moment to say that I really am very happy that we use the Invisalign team product in our office. I think it's been a real boon to our practice in the number of case starts and also in the flow of the day. Invisalign treatment does not require the appointments as often as traditional braces, and we really see a lot less emergencies. The hygiene issues are a lot less. I am amazed whenever I look at a ClinCheck and I see the optimized attachments. They always make perfect sense to me where the tooth is going. Invisalign Teen has made it fun to be an orthodontist again. So at this point, I want to thank you all again for listening and for taking the time to view the presentation. And I'll give the floor back to Dave. A couple of quick reminders. Please to the link that's on your screen right now to take your survey and get your CD certificate. One week from today, this entire program will be archived at the Education tab on your Invisalign Doctor site. I want to thank Dr. Gimme, Dr. Milberg, and John Morton for great presentations, and for all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us. We look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks very much. And thank you very much, David. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude our presentation today. I want to thank David and all of our presenters for presenting today's material, and you for attending. This does conclude the session. You may now disconnect.